You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Klosterman's Questions. In his book, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, Chuck Klosterman lists the 23 questions he asks everyone he meets before he decides if he could ever truly love them. These are not questions like, do you believe in God, or are you a Republican or a Democrat? These are questions like, if you were the commissioner of the NFL, would you allow a gorilla to play for the Oakland Raiders? He asks these questions with the belief that they may somehow reveal character. I'm always asking my friends and family these kinds of questions, questions that are not what could be called of a personal nature, that one has to come at with any particular expertise or knowledge. Like Chuck Klosterman's questions, the questions I find myself asking most often are what some might classify as absurd or pointless, and other, less generous folk might simply term asinine. I'm talking about questions that have no bearing on the real world, no frame of reference or consequence. I'm talking about questions like this. If you could only do one of the following, which would it be? Go back into the past to fix something that happened in your life, or go into the future to get some clues about what you should do right now? I believe how you answer such questions says something about who you are, though I'm not exactly sure what. According to Freud, imaginative thinking comes first in the mental development of a child, while realistic thinking emerges only later. In my case, I'm not sure that the whole realistic thing ever really took solid root. As I've gotten older, the questions haven't become any more mature or consequential. I mean, the most political this line of questioning gets is something like this, a question I recently thought up while watching the televised debates. Would you wear skin-tight animal print spandex pants every day for a year if it meant you'd be given the power to secretly decide the outcome of the 2008 presidential election? But mostly these questions are purely fantastical, like this. If you were the original Beatles drummer, Pete Best, and an hour before the other Beatles were about to kick you out of the band, you were visited by a spaceman from the future who informed you of how insanely huge the Beatles were going to become. How desperate and clingy would you be willing to get to try and stay in the band? The way you answer this question, I believe, says something about your sense of integrity and your ability to accept your own fate. Or a question like this. If you could go back in time and either punch Adolf Hitler in the face or hug Marilyn Monroe, which would you choose? And the way that you answer this question determines whether you are someone who places notions of revenge and justice above the desire to just hug Marilyn Monroe. According to evolutionary psychologist Stephen J. Mython, there are two types of imagination. The more mundane, problem-solving imagination that interacts with the real world, and the creative imagination, which is more about free association and wishful thinking. I'd like to think that my tendency towards the latter has been, to some extent, imprinted on my daughter, Zuzu. I discovered evidence of this a few weeks ago while watching Aladdin with her when she suddenly hit the pause button. If you could only have one, she asked... Which would you choose, a flying carpet or a talking monkey? The carpet, I said, 
I used to think the carpet too, she said sagely. But then I realized I'd never get to use it because the government would be doing science stuff on it all day. And you don't think they'd be conducting scientific experiments on a talking monkey? I asked. She looked at me, pitying me my ignorance. You can't train a carpet to fly, she said, but you can train a monkey to talk. What I said? No, you can't. If they can train a parrot, they can train a monkey, she said. I was tired of arguing with her, so I grabbed the remote and hit play. If I could train a monkey to talk, I would teach it to say, "Jonathan, you are right. You are always right." My greatest victory might be that Zuzu has taken this line of questioning and brought it into the junior high classroom. A couple of days ago, she came home and told me she'd asked everyone in her class if they were to become vampires, whether they would bite their parents and make them immortal. Across the board, she tells me, everyone said they wouldn't. They didn't want to be told what to do for eternity, she said. Personally speaking, eighty years is enough. Would you make me a vampire if I begged you? I asked. If I promised to move out of town and never get in touch? Zuzu considered my question. It would make me too sad knowing you were out there not calling, she said. And despite her hypothetical unwillingness to save me from hypothetical death, I was oddly touched. For me, these kinds of questions level the playing field. Child and adult come to them with the same level of competence. And what's best. There are no right and wrong answers. Hypothetical questions allow you to imagine multiple worlds of possibility without any material consequences. Unlike, say, the question, "Would you like some more whipped cream on your frappuccino?" Nobody gets fat. Nobody gets hurt. These kinds of questions are not divisive. Like, say, "Who are you voting for?" or "What did you think of Iron Man?" And in this way. They are questions that might hold the key to a more peaceable vision of human life. Do you ever ask yourself hypothetical questions? Like, I wonder what would happen if I could shrink down to the size of an ant and crawl inside the electrical outlet, or something. Exactly, questions like that. I mean, is that frivolous? I mean, is that something that you indulge in? No, that is frivolous, and no, it's not something I indulge in. The only Theoretical, which is a question I come back to very frequently.、Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wish that I had a zipper in the time-space continuum fabric、mm-hmm. that I could just unzip and stuff people through it, and then zip it shut again. You know what I mean? You're talking about murder. This has nothing to do with murder. It's more like a delete key. Have you never wished that you had that? Like, so one person is just like immediately lifted out of your life. I guess what I'm talking about is sort of, is sort of like、um, an act of play. Like, would I rather have the power of invisibility or the power of flight, like that kind of thing? Yeah, I think as an adult, I prefer to deal with the world as it is, or try and improve the world as I see it, rather than make up fantasy games about putting on a superhero cape and running around with superpowers. Well, I mean, it's not just that, but I mean, don't you think there's just an aspect to, to human beings? You know, our capacity for abstract thought,、uh, our ability to kind of imagine ourselves outside of ourselves, that we just sort of want to indulge. Like, is, is, I mean, isn't that a part of the reason why we go to movies and read books and stuff like that? Is just to imagine other realities. Well, I think most people go to movies for the air conditioning. 
Mm-hmm. But that's different than sitting around and daydreaming about what happens if you were a blueberry with arms and legs and you were running around through a pie factory. You know what I mean? One is nonsense, and one is, at least in theory, going to serve some practical purpose. Well, I think that even the nonsense, I mean, I think... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just picture you as a blueberry being chased by something that eats blueberries. Okay, go ahead. So you don't indulge in those kind of things? Never. You're too good for that? Much too good. Nonetheless, I'm going to put a question to you, all right? Because I just want to see what you're going to do with this question. Hmm. Would, Would you indulge me? I always do. And, and, and this is from uh, Chuck Klosterman's book, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Hmm. At the beginning of each chapter, he has a question. May I ask you one of these questions? Sure. At long last, someone invents the Dream VCR. This machine allows you to tape an entire evening's worth of your own dreams, which you can then watch at your leisure. However... The inventor of the Dream VCR will only allow you to use this device if you agree to a strange caveat. When you watch your dreams, you must do so with your family and your closest friends in the same room. They get to watch your dreams along with you. And if you don't agree to this, you can't use the Dream VCR. Would you still do this? Every day, I see VCRs in the garbage pile. I see piles of VCRs on the sidewalk. Okay, forget the VCR thing. Let's say it's a dream DVD player. Even DVDs are out. Haven't you heard the news? It's all flash media, downloadable content. Can you answer the question, please? What would I do about a VCR with my dreams? Yeah. I'd I'd watch the dreams. Even with your family there and your wife? Okay, I wouldn't watch the dreams. But, I mean, you're not responsible for your dreams. Okay, I would watch the dreams. What do you want me to say? Don't you have an opinion? Yeah, I have an opinion. And? Nobody watches VCRs anymore. That's my opinion. Okay, here's another one. All right, you ready? Yeah. Let us assume you met a magician. Let us assume he can do five simple tricks. He could pull a rabbit out of his hat. He can make a coin disappear. He could turn the ace of spades into the joker card and two others in a similar vein. These are his only tricks, and he can't learn any more. He can only do these five. However, it turns out he's doing these five tricks with real magic. He's legitimately magical, but extremely limited in scope and influence. Would this person be more impressive than Albert Einstein? No. Albert Einstein came up with the theory of relativity, quantum mechanics. Yeah, but this guy could do real magic. Magic's magic. What are, you, what are you, there are not enough rabbits? But that's not the point. The point is it's magic. It doesn't matter whether it's rabbits or rocks. Dr. Einstein, do you know what rabbits breed like? They breed like rabbits. You're telling me that a guy who can pull out rabbits and make more rabbits is better than Einstein, who figured out pretty much everything there is to know about science in the 20th century? This is incredibly revealing, I think, of, of the way that your mind works. It's, I'm oh, yeah? finding this fascinating. Yeah, this is really very, this is like, this is like, like some kind of like... Uh, Next question. You have won a prize. The prize has two options, and you can choose either, but not both. The first option is a year in Europe with a monthly stipend of $2,000. The second option is 10 minutes on the moon. Which option do you select? Well, that's easy. Yeah? What kind of question is that? Well, what's what's your answer? Obviously the moon. Well, it's not obvious. I mean, you know, I might choose Europe. You'd be a fool to choose Europe. Well, I've never been to Europe. Look, what did he say, 2000 bucks a month? That's right. That's $24,000. So let's round it off and call it thirty grand. Mm-hmm. You know how much it costs to go to the moon? In nineteen seventy dollars, it was something like a trillion dollars. 
So this is how you answer all of these questions? You pull out your calculator and, and you start calculating the cost? First of all, I didn't pull out a calculator. I was able to do that math in my head. Mm -hmm. Second of all, if I had an opportunity to go to the moon, which I think at this point something like three people have ever done in the whole history of Earth, versus go to Europe, which every European is walking around Europe. Big deal. You think they care about going to Europe? They already live there. Uh -huh. What's so special about Europe? Parmalat milk? Get out of here. Listen, Johnny, I'm a busy man. I like to deal with things as they are. Mm -hmm. and you're asking me theoretical questions about the theoretical questions by another guy. You're two layers removed from what I'm going to have for lunch today. I thought it would... I, I'm trying to install like a, a, a dishwasher tonight in my house. I need an adapter. <laughs> That's my life. That's reality. I thought it would be fun. Yeah, fun. If you've got questions about the theoretical questions by Chuck Klosterman, ask Chuck Klosterman. Call him up. He's under K in the phone book. Thanks so much for doing this, Chuck. Yeah. yeah. Okay, first question. Europe or the moon? I feel obligated to say I would take the moon because you're passing up a, an opportunity that's pretty rarefied. I mean, I just think that's a question sort of about, you know, what what's a greater experience? Something that, that no one can do or that's something that anyone can do but is guaranteed to be great. All right. Uh, next question. Is the magician who can do real magic more impressive than Albert Einstein? Well, this is one question where I feel that there is something of a logical answer to. I feel that the answer is he definitely would be. Mm -hmm. If a guy can conjure a rabbit out of nothing, everything Einstein did is completely wrong. It basically invalidates a lot of everything we understand about physics and math. Uh, like the magician, even though if he can only do one trick... If he can pull a rabbit out of nothing for real, pretty much all science is gone. So I go with the magician. Okay, all right, which, which uh, I would say leads to the, to the next question. Um, defying all expectation, a group of Scottish marine biologists capture a live Loch Ness monster. In an almost unbelievable coincidence, a bear hunter in the Pacific Northwest shoots a Sasquatch in the thigh, thereby allowing zoologists to take the furry monster into captivity. These events happen on the same afternoon. That evening, the president announces he may have thyroid cancer and will undergo a biopsy later that week. You are the front page and page editor of the New York Times. What do you play as the biggest story? I would go with a package story, the lead story being one big headline, Monsters Exist. I would put the president's thyroid cancer below the fold in the, front, in the corner of the front because, I mean, that's a big deal, but, you know, uh, presidents have died before, you know. And if, if the president did die, would that, would that be different? Was is it an assassination or a death? Either way, I guess it's got to go. I guess it goes above the monsters. Yeah. Huh, really? If it's breaking news, otherwise you you run the risk of, especially if you're the New York Times, you know, like the paper of record, that people in a hundred years will look back on this and that will somehow skew what people's perception of history was because they'll be like, people used to not even be interested in the president. They were more interested in Sasquatches. Or maybe they'll just be like, my God, I can't believe there was a time when people actually didn't believe that monsters existed. They were so ignorant back then. Well, that, that could maybe be as well, yeah. Of course, the main thing in a hundred years would be like, God, can you believe there used to be newspapers? All right, and here's, here's the last question. You have a brain tumor. Though there is no discomfort at the moment, this tumor would unquestionably kill you in six months. 
However, your life can and will be saved by an operation. The only downside is that there will be a brutal incision to your frontal lobe. After the surgery, you will be significantly less intelligent. You will still be a fully functioning adult, but you will be less logical, you will have a terrible memory, and you will have little ability to understand complex concepts or difficult, difficult ideas. The surgery is in two weeks. How do you spend the next 14 days? Well, that's always a tough question because the immediate reaction one has to that is they want to write things down or uh, make a videotape of themselves talking to themselves, describing the person they used to be. Um, but kind of the problem with that is one of the conditions of the incision is that you'll have a hard time understanding complex ideas. And the idea that somehow you used to be one person and now you're a very different person might fit into that category. Um, I guess uh, I would try to focus on uh, all the things in the future that will no longer bother me. Like, I'll think to myself, this is the last time i got to try to figure out if, uh, if there's an afterlife. Or this is the last time where I have to sort of look at the political process or sort of look at these questions about philosophy that these kind of unanswerable questions that, uh, you know, occupy so much of my mind and, and in a way make me less happy. You know, as, as you get more, as you learn more, as you grow, as you get wiser, you know, in some ways you get sadder usually. So I would try to kind of take solace in the fact that, like, I kind of only have two weeks, two weeks left to not understand these things that I never would have understood anyways. I'm not going to have, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, these, I'm going to recognize that sort of the core questions about being alive aren't going to be problems anymore. I'm not always that in love with the way my brain is now, but at the same time, I've grown rather attached to it. And at the end of the day, like Chuck, I do feel that thinking about these kinds of problems, existential problems, can actually be, paradoxically, a pleasure. Especially when you're faced with the possibility of never getting another chance to think about them again. I mean, in some ways, I think, as Chuck does, that a little less brain can also mean a, mean a little more of something else. Like possibly happiness. What you might lose in logical intellect, you might gain in the Chancy Gardner unwittingly wise department. And as someone who doesn't always have the easiest time just turning their brain off, but wanting to, it has its own sort of vague appeal. When you think about it, to actually consider a question like this isn't really frivolous at all, because it encourages you to think about how you think about thought, your capacity for a certain kind of thinking, the kind of thinking, perhaps, that gives rise to these kinds of hypothetical questions in the first place. But thinking like this can also turn into an endless spiral, which requires some getting into perspective. Hello? Hey, Mom? Johnny? Yeah. What's the matter? No, nothing's the matter. I, I was just calling to say, um, to, to say hello. Oh. Hey, um, is, is Dad home? Yeah. Uh, could, you, could you ask him to pick up the phone? Sure, hold on. Bud, pick up the phone! Hello? Hey, Dad? It's Johnny! Hi, Johnny. Um, I, uh, I, had a, I had a question for both of you. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. You have a brain tumor. Who has the brain tumor? Me. No, I mean, it's a, it's a hypothetical question. But who has it? Me? Not you for real, God Just forbid. Like but one who has Yeah, one, one has. You know okay. what I mean? Okay. This tumor would unquestionably kill you in six months. 
However, your life can and will be saved by an operation. After the surgery, you will be significantly less intelligent. Now, the surgery is in two weeks' time. How do you spend the next 14 days? So uh, what I would do is go to the library and try to enjoy as many things as I can. I would be the here and now kind of thing. I wouldn't care if I have to spend money to go to a good play. I'd go to a good movie. Maybe I'd go to... What movie? When do you ever go to a movie? Well, because I know that I wouldn't be able to enjoy these things. Ah, please. I don't like this whole conversation. is making me very nervous. You're not going to any movies. And stop talking silly. You're going to stay home. Stop the inevitable by shouting it down, you know? Look... What's well, a hypothetical and in inevitable? But but mom, why, why is the idea of him going out to a movie so upsetting to you? He has a TV that works perfectly perfectly well. He can stay home and watch it. All right. Um, I don't get it. What's going on here that you're asking me these questions? Do you know something? No, no, of course not. No, no, no. I'm just. I mean, I'm. I'm actually. I'm just. I'm just doing a whole show this week about these kinds of you know hypothetical questions and how people enjoy. Uh, responding to them and there's something enjoy, kind of attractive. I don't like these kind of questions. I don't find it enjoyable. Well, maybe that one wasn't such a good one, but I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the, the kind of questions like, you know, you can have fun with, like, uh, uh, let me find one here. All right, uh, this question's for Dad, okay? Yeah. All right, Dad, every person you've ever dated is invited to a banquet where you're the guest of honor. After the meal, you are asked to give a 15-minute speech to the assembly. What do you talk about? Oh, my God, I'm not going to talk about that in front of Dina. Are you kidding? She'd kill me. What do you have to say that I should oh. kill you for? I don't know. Uh, you know, I wasn't a very nice guy when I was young. I was very vain. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're not that person anymore, uh, but... Uh, yeah, but, I'm, but, I'm, but, but, but these people remember me the way I was. Maybe you would just want... Would you want to just apologize to them? Would you... Yeah. I didn't look at the person. I looked at the physical attributes. So give me a taste of, like, to start the beginning of the speech. Um, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen. They're all ladies, I hope. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I hope they were ladies, right? Yeah. Uh, ladies, whatever we had in the past was something that we all enjoyed as young people, and today your life has more meaning. That's how it started. Oh, how beautiful. You like that, Mom? I think that's so nice. Wow. Um, okay, I got a, I got a, I got a question for you, Mom. Yeah. All right. You've won a prize. The prize has two options, and you can choose either, but not both. The first option is a year in Europe with a monthly stipend of two thousand dollars. The second option is ten minutes on the moon. Which option do you select? Oh, I know my answer. I know my answer too. Okay, Mom, you go first. Of course, I'll go to Europe with a stipend of two thousand dollars a month. Dad. The Europe with $2,000 a month stipend. I'm amazed. I thought you'd say no, go to the moon. No, no, no. I don't really know you. I'm going to up there in that vacuum. I'm That's what I say. Come on. I'm not that wacko. I'm going to sit on the moon. What? <laughs> and, and I'll wear a heavy suit that I can hardly breathe in there on top of the moon. Hop around from crater to crater. I see Earth come up. So, you know, I mean, it's nice. As I look at it in Ge- National Geographic. Yeah, but imagine the experience. You'd, you'd experience something that, that a handful what of people have experienced. What am I going to experience, Johnny? Being on the moon. And then what? Am I going to have a good Italian meal or a paella in Spain? Of course, we're a little what bit What am I going to see? Good for us. Of course we are, and I would love it. $2,000 a month is very nice. You could live very nice in Europe. 
Very nice. So you wouldn't go to a hotel with a lobby. You're going to Pension? I'm not going to these places. So you're there a couple of thousand of your own. We'd live very nicely. I didn't win the lotto yet. You see, you're en you're enjoying answering these questions. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm having fun. Okay, well let's uh, then let's uh, just try one more, one last question. Okay, you ready? You ready? Okay. Okay. All right. At long last, someone invents something called the Dream uh, uh, DVD recorder. All right. However, the inventor of the Dream DVD recorder will only allow you to use this device. If you agree to a strange, strange caveat, when you watch your dreams, you must do so with your family and your closest friends in the same room. And if you don't agree to this, you can't use the Dream DVD recorder. Would you still do this? No, I don't want anybody to see my dreams. Is that true? They're personal. But I mean, the... people watching my dreams. Why would you want people sitting around the living room watching your dream? Well, let's modify the question a little bit to just. Um, not all your friends and everything, but just each other. I have no secret secrets from him. You once said to me that you, you said I have certain private things that I wouldn't even want you to know. You said that. I remember that a long time ago. Yeah, well. You did. So I don't have any private. Want, I don't have any private things anymore, Buzz. Well, if I did, I forgot what they were. <laughs> Just certain inner things that you just want. You know to... what, Buzz? Yeah. I don't even remember what I kept so private. I have nothing to hide. What, from do you them. want to know about every woman I ever went out with? No, you're really... dreaming about them yet. No, but I'm, I don't dreams. know. You know, I got dreams that... And you're hiding that I can't see. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this at, this at all. I let you see my dreams. I don't like this question. And I don't like this answer even more. I have no dream size when I from you. No, then how come you answer them like yeah, that? You, <laughs> you better stop that laughing because I'm getting really angry. What are you hiding? I want to know. Stars shining bright above you. Night breezes seem to whisper, I love you. Birds singing in the sycamore tree. Dream a little dream of me. On Wiretap today, you heard Gregor Ehrlich, Buzz and Dina Goldstein, and Chuck Klosterman, author of Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, A Low Culture Manifesto, and the forthcoming novel, Downtown Owl. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Bergwintonic and Carolyn Warren. Production assistance from Crystal Duhame. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.